T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. And welcome to Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Joe Beamer and Brenda Alacy with you on this Sunday morning, this Bills game day Sunday morning, but you've got till 8.20. So a lot of question marks of what to do with your afternoon. Brenda, we can't tell you that, but we do have a packed hard line for you. No question about that, Joe, and I hope that people will call us and text us at 716-803-0930. Week in and week out, we try to bring a variety of guests, and this week is no exception. Uh, at the top, uh, David DiPietro, the assemblyman, will join us. And then at 1035, we'll talk with Rashid Wyatt, who is the Buffalo Common Council member representing the University District. And then at 11 o'clock, uh, much more to come as well, with A.J. Baines, who is the uh, head honcho over at the Amherst Chamber of Commerce. And we'll round it out at 1130 with Dr. Tom Russo, a very familiar voice in our airwaves, who offers up a lot of good information about COVID and what's happening now as we get closer and closer to that vaccine. And I so watched Joe, I watched a 10-minute piece on the Pfizer vaccine yesterday, so I feel ready to ask the doctor some intelligent-sounding questions. I'm sure he'll appreciate that. And uh, I, I'm looking forward to uh, to hearing what he has to say about that. Things are happening really rapidly, and it's, uh, it's a good Sunday. I mean, we've got the, uh, the vaccine on the horizon. The Bills are definitely ready for prime time as they take on the Steelers. And uh, it's uh, it's not snowing yet in Buffalo, so the, and there's some sun out today, so it's not so bad. Everybody, hang in there. We're getting closer this very difficult year, and I can't wait to put 2020 in the rearview mirror, Joe. I can't either. You know, Brenda, I've already made my first goal of 2021. Uh, I'm excited about that. I'm excited to get out of this year. Excited for the vaccine, which, Brenda, as we speak, the vaccines are on the road going to all 50 states. As we speak this morning, they are leaving Pfizer on the way to start the process that should take uh, about till June to get us vaccinated. And to talk about COVID, to talk about the state of New York, we do have New York State Assemblyman David DiPietro with us this morning. David, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Great to be here. Thanks for having me, Joe, Brenda. Now, let me uh, start off. We have not talked to you in some time. Uh, how are you doing? How is the family with COVID? Uh, how, how have these last few months been? We've been great. No, no complaint. Uh, just, just, just doing what everyone else is doing, you know, trying to stay safe, uh, take precautions, but also um, uh, get out there and uh, not to, try not to disrupt our life and do what we normally do. David, you uh, you represent the 147th district, and uh, you on your Twitter account you say you're blessed to be here, and I'm sure that you're hearing from your constituents in that district. What has been the biggest challenge? Is it just school issues for working parents? Is it 
the small businesses that have sustained so much uh, hardship and, and suffering as this uh, pandemic continues to roll on and the governor continues to make these what appears to me to be arbitrary decisions about what closes and what doesn't. What do you hear from the folks of the 147? Uh, pretty much just what you said, but the, I think the biggest thing is the small businesses and also back going back to April, the, uh, the Department of Labor, I got to tell you, I really dropped the ball uh, and the governor especially, and that's a whole huge story, but we, we, our office alone, we never, we never closed. We were supposed to close in March and we never did because we were getting dozens of calls a day about people who couldn't get through to the DOL couldn't get their benefits, couldn't get their unemployment. People were selling their furniture to, to, to survive, to make money, to feed their children. It was horrible. And we were on the phones 10 hours a day. Uh, and we, like I said, we, I think we did over 14 or 1,500 help people. Um, and, uh, and they were just, uh, the bureaucrats in Albany were, you know, so I'm sure some of them were doing a great job, but a lot of them were just dropping the ball. And, and uh, the, it was that, that was really disheartening. Uh, watching people and, and just doing everything we could. At the end, at the end, we were giving out the personal numbers of the people in Albany because they they weren't doing their job and saying, "Look, call these people directly. We've been calling for you, but but we need you to get get active and and go go straight at them because they're they're just they're it was it was very disheartening. So it was watching all the businesses close. I've been going in my district. I've been going three four days a week. And we're going to businesses all over, uh, taking one town a day and literally going in and just walking or driving and stopping in and saying hello to everyone and seeing how they're doing and seeing where we can help them and, and giving them some things from our office that might get them get some going. So that's what, those are the two biggest things, Brenda. Well, what, um, what can you do, though, David? Um, when you, I'm sure they appreciate you stopping in and knowing that uh, you, you hear their voices, that uh, things are trying to get done. But have you been able to secure funding grants? Uh, I know the CARES Act was a big, big help earlier. What have you specifically been able to do to help those folks? We've been able, well, two things. We've been able to put them in uh, in touch with the right people to make sure that they can process the PPP quicker so that they can get the money that, that's coming to them from the government and also uh, making sure that their unemployment claims are are fast-tracked and uh, are on the right on the right uh, path because what happened was what, what happened in Albany is uh, maybe they filled out the form and they, they missed one question say didn't fill it out just overlooked it well in Albany they were taking those forms and just putting them on a pile and for months not looking at them instead of calling back the people and saying hey look we've got your application well uh, you missed one thing and so we'd call back and say oh yeah that's sitting here it's been here for a couple months and and it was so frustrating all they had to do was get on the phone for two minutes and just call these people and say, hey, look, we've got your application. It looks good. You missed a question. And that was so frustrating because people are sitting there waiting day after day for an answer. And that was that was so disheartening. So we we're that those are some of the things we've been able to do, try and give them the right contacts. And um, you're right, there's not a lot of other, other types of grants out there, but making sure that they've got the right contact information, anything they needed, uh, phone number, contact-wise, to help them through. That's what we were doing. Uh, David, I wanted to follow up, too, uh, about Governor Cuomo and your your take on how he's handled this crisis. Um, if you don't mind, I'll just tell you my feeling on it. I thought in the beginning, I thought that he was uh, 
excellent at communicating what was happening on a regular basis with information about hospitalizations, deaths, and different parts of the country. But then I think it became somewhat of an ego fest for him. And I really had a problem with him writing that book in the midst of the pandemic. And today he tweeted out that, you know, we're all tired of the pandemic and it's okay to say it out loud and it'll be over soon. Um, how do you feel in, in the overall scheme of things, given this unusual situation that none of us ever had to deal with before, how he and other government leaders uh, have handled this? I have, uh, on him specifically, I've been very outspoken. I think he's handled it horribly, and I mean very horribly. Back in when this happened, he overstepped his bounds first off. Uh, he had four weeks. He got one month by state constitution to take executive power. I didn't vote for him. Uh, I was one of six out of uh, 150 that said, hey, we can do our job. I know this is going to be. But the, the funny thing is not funny, but <clears throat> how they got all those people to vote for him, Brenda, was the state Department of Health Commissioner came out at a conference back in at midnight, back in early March when we were in Albany, and they came right out and told us, they said, if you don't give the governor full executive powers, you will be blamed for all the murders. They came out and told us that in a big conference between the Assembly and Senate Republicans, and it scared a lot of people, but not me. And I said, you know what, we can do our job. I'll take those hits if that happens, because whether he has the power the fact is, we have the power also as elected officials to help, and uh, and we are ready to do our job. And he has, and after the month, he gets two weeks. So by state constitution, May second was the last day that he could have executive powers. And then May second, I put in my bill to repeal all his powers. And since then, we've seen what's happened, as you just mentioned, with this ego trip. He has really gone off the deep end. I think. I mean, when you come out, what? same person comes out and says chicken wings aren't a meal and the covid <laughs> can hit you at 9:59 at night but it won't hit you at 9:59 at night but at 10:01 you better watch out because then it's going to strike i mean these edicts that he puts out are not law but people are scared i mean we we the media has driven this fear and the governor and he just sits up there on his throne and i'm to answer your question, no, I think he's done a horrible, horrible job. It's caused people's lives. It's caused their livelihoods. And uh, we literally today, right now, this minute, we should go back uh, and define our branches of government and give us back uh, the rightful power to start making the laws. Well, I'll tell you, it's a good thing he didn't suggest using ranch with uh, your wings instead of blue cheese. It would have really put me over the edge. Uh, but David, not to make light of this situation, but uh, the, one of the ways I cope is to have a little humor in my life. And, uh, it, it, you know, it's been a very difficult situation, obviously. Um, and now there's talk about Cuomo being the AG choice, perhaps in uh, President-elect uh, Biden's cabinet. Would you feel relieved if he was indeed tapped to be the attorney general and would leave as governor of New York? Uh, I'd feel bad for the country, <laughs> but I would feel great for New Yorkers. Uh I may, I've made no bones, and I've not uh, sugar-coated my – I think he's been a dictator through this. Uh, he's been heavy-handed. In New York City, the Democrats that I know are scared of him because he's threatened them over and over. If they don't follow uh, what he says, uh, they will be stripped of power. If they – even my bill to just repeal his powers and bring us back in the legislature, just give us back our power, our job, to do our job, he has threatened his own, own – 
the Democrats in his own conference. If they any of them sign on to my bill, they will be stripped of all powers in Albany. I mean, he's he's very vindictive, and uh, I don't think he's <laughs> I, I don't see him doing what you would think as the AG. The fact is, Kathy Hochul, if she became the governor, would be. Uh, a breath of fresh air, not that she would be great, but she'd be so much better than the governor. But then, you know, and we would have to deal with that for a year and a half. And I, but I think uh, a lot of things would get better with a new with a new governor in this state. I think we would uh, uh, we might open up some doors to, to get this state moving again. David, you know, for months we were told, follow the science, follow the science, and that all these places were closed because of science. Well, the governor has finally admitted that he was wrong. There is... 0.06% of uh, COVID-19 cases are traced back to gyms and salons are just a little more than that, but still under a percent. Restaurants and bars are in at 1.4%. Do you really think the governor can keep restaurants and bars closed for indoor dining with the numbers of only 1.4% of COVID cases being traced to restaurants? Yeah, I do. Here's why. Because of government terrorism, I call it out. Uh, he has the power, and that's what we've done. Even in Erie County, it's government terrorism. If you don't follow the edict, uh, the government comes in, and you've seen it with uh, with Robbie over at the gymnasium, the health department. He has a meeting uh, after hours, uh, totally closed, and then the next day they come in and serve him and give him a fifteen thousand dollar fine and shut and shut him down. And and that's what the government has the power to do: take your license, shut you down, fine you, put you in jail. And in the end, you fight it and you win. But what do you win after a year? You lose, you lose your business. You lose all your money. They come after you, and it's government terrorism. So no, I don't think. Uh, I think yeah, definitely, that's what's going on now. I agree with you. There's no science. Th- thank. We ask this in Albany every day. We're on these conference calls with the Department of Health. We for months. And I jump on and I say, would you please give us the science behind any of these edicts? chicken wings, whatever. Give us the science. It's 10 o'clock at night. Give us the science. Do you have it? No, they don't. They don't have it. And if you remember, the governor, when he did that chicken wing edict, he did it at, like almost at the end of this press conference, and everyone, all the reporters scrambled and were like, at the end going, where did this come from? And he said, you know, if you remember his quote-unquote response was, well, I was, I was just thought of it while I was talking. It was like, there was no science behind it. He just comes up with this stuff, but that's what you do when you're an egomaniac and you're a dictator, and you just and you have the power to do this. Uh, it's out of control. And yet, and to go off of something Brenda said earlier about his book, you know what really bothered me, David, was. He, he he was going to make an announcement on zoning. He was going to either put Erie County in the yellow zone or um, announce more restrictions. But before he did that, before he told the state of New York what they could or couldn't do, he had to go on Good Morning America, live with Kelly and Ryan, and the Howard Stern Show before addressing his state. I mean, he is really soaking in the limelight. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's... he's uh... He loves that limelight, but that's what you get. He, uh, I don't believe in the orange zones and the yellow zones. The fact is there's no science. The fact is if you can go in, like right now, go into Wegmans or Tops or Home Depot today, and you will see hundreds of people clustering in aisles, but yet the little small mom-and-pop store who have the greatest ability to social distance, make you wear a mask, only let a few customers in at a time, they're shut down. There is no science behind this. Because the smaller people, 
can 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 social distance and do those mechanics better than the big stores. And so it just this whole thing. There's no science behind it. It's uh, it's very evil in my my mind because you're putting these people out of their livelihoods and their business and their their life. And it it's really it's a shame. And we've dealt with it day after day every day. And it's um, it's very not only frustrating, it's disheartening. David, the whole uh, mask issue has become politicized, as you well know. Uh, are you for wearing masks or not? What's your view on that? I am not. I'm not. But here's what I do. I wear them out of respect. I don't want to walk into a small business without a mask. I won't do that uh, because I don't want to put that business owner in trouble. I don't want someone, I don't want a Karen sitting there listening, looking at it and making a report. So I will wear my masks out of that respect. But I don't believe in them. I've talked to dozens and dozens of doctors all you have to do is take the mask you're wearing, go outside when it's 20 degrees out, and, and and breathe. And if you see breath coming out of your mask, then you know it doesn't work at all. So it's it's a uh, uh, the mask is one of those big uh, misnomers. Uh, uh, they've only got about a two percent. Most of those masks now now you're getting Brenda, you've seen it. Now we're getting into designer masks made out of nothing just because they look good. I mean they have no benefit. It's it's ridiculous that, that we're. You know. I ha- I have seen that actually, David. But I know that uh, underneath the designer mask, there are, there is a real mask, and I think that's how they get around that. But I do. I'm a. I believe in masks, and I've talked to many many doctors, who have the opposite point of view from what you just stated. So I do wear masks. I do believe it makes sense to wear one. Um, I think a guy like Dr. Tom Russo is a lot smarter than me, and if they, he says wear a mask, and so be it. And somebody like Dr. Robert Redfield, who's in the Trump administration, wears it, so or you know suggests wearing it. But we could debate that forever. Before our time is up, I did want to ask you about Robin Schiminger, your colleague in the Assembly, a longtime Kenton representative, retiring after 40-some years. Uh, well, how did you feel Robin represented the district, and what did he mean to you as a, uh, a legislator from this neck of the woods? I got to tell you, Robin was one of my favorite people up there. He's a funny guy. He's a smart guy. Um, I've, I don't have time to tell you now, but the greatest story that I have in Albany was with Robin in the chambers. It was, it's hilarious, and uh, you know, at some other time I'll tell you. Um, I respected him. Uh, Robin re- literally... Of everyone on the opposite side of the aisle, Robin was my favorite person. I could go to Robin. I did often. I'd go over, just walk across the aisle and say, hey, what do you think of this? What's your take on this? Especially on Western New York matters. Um, you know, we had an issue with, say, whatever, you named the hospital or or uh, another venture. I'd always go to Robin. So uh, Robin has great respect with me, and, uh, and, uh, and I, I considered him uh, a friend of sorts up there. Uh, I really, I, I enjoyed, oh. uh, he was good. Joe, it looks like we're going to take a quick call. And David, sorry for the pause. I'm home broadcasting. Joe's back at the station. So uh, we, we're communicating the best we can. Let's go to uh, John in Rochester. Good hey, morning, John. John. Hey, guys. Uh, hey, David. Uh, you know, you hit it on the head. Cuomo is not following the science. And I'll, I'll give you an example. I had a discussion with my brother uh, the other night. And uh, I said, Sweden, Sweden has it right. And my brother said, wait a minute, Sweden's uh, infections have spiked a lot in their deaths. So I looked it up, and he was right. They have. But I looked at the death rate per 1 million. New York State, 1,800. Sweden, just under 800. Florida, Florida's about 820. 
Texas about 800, uh, New York State 1800. Who's got the right policy? That's what I want to say. And where's the media coverage on this? <laughs> Great question. Um, uh, that that's a whole another issue. We could talk about the media coverage. <laughs> I don't believe a lot of the media, but you're right. Um, and that's and Brenda and Joe, you know that too. As you, the governor doesn't get called out for his mistakes. The media covers for him um, when he's writing a book and getting awards, and he's at the worst state and death rate in the country. It sort of it just sort of flies in the face of of common sense, and we don't seem to have a lot of that in New York State government right now. Assemblyman David DiPietro, thank you so much for joining us, and hopefully we will talk again soon. If we don't before uh, the holiday, have a great holiday, a great new year, and uh, we will talk to you soon. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Assemblyman David DiPietro joining us. Brenda? Thank you very much to David, and uh, as we roll on, Joe, we're going to speak next to uh, University Council Member Rashid Wyatt, who joins us at uh, right after the 1030 news. So we'll check in with news headlines and be back right after this on Hardline. And welcome. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Back to Hardline on this Sunday morning. Brenda Olasey with you and Joe Beamer also co-hosting as we do each and every week. And we always welcome your input, your two cents right here on this show. And right now we're pleased to welcome for the first time Rashid Wyatt. He is the University Council Member for the Buffalo Common Council to Hardline. Good morning, Council Member. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, Brenda. Thank you for having me. Great to have you on board, and uh, I wanted to get the perspective of somebody uh, in the city. You know, we hear a lot about what happens uh, statewide with the governor and Erie County with uh, the county uh, controller, Stefan Mahailu, the county executive, Mark Polenkars, but I feel like sometimes we need to get uh, kind of dug in with uh, council members who deal with day-to-day issues in the districts of our city, and you represent the university district, uh, Council Member Wyatt. What are some of the major concerns you're hearing uh, from your constituents uh, as it relates to the COVID uh, pandemic? I think the, the biggest thing is, you know, initially we had problems with getting testing, and that was a huge problem, which we overcame working with the Erie County 
Health Department and um, Chairwoman April Baskins. Um, so we ended up getting that. And now, and I guess, you know, what some people may be concerned about is getting the vaccine. Um, I don't think everybody is running to jump to get the vaccine, even though you would think that that would be happening. But um, especially in a large commu- a community, which is um, a great large a portion of it is African-American. So they're not as quick to jump to that as m- many others. <clears throat> but I think, you know, what the governor is doing thus far has been fantastic. I mean, I have a friend who called me from Arizona complaining about their governor not giving them a lot of information, but I think that Governor Cuomo has done a fantastic job, and although at times people or certain groups of folks um, think he's not doing um, as great a job because it seems like it's penalizing them, um, I think that he's taken the health and welfare of citizens, which I think that if this president would have done, we may have been in a far better position without losing as many lives. Uh, Council member, about uh, the vaccine, and there's a lot of talk now referred, uh, referring to folks in the, uh, quote, black and brown community. We hear that phrase a lot. And you touched on this a moment ago about uh, the vaccine. Do you hear from constituents who are concerned about the safety of the vaccine and they're, they are very hesitant to take it because they fear that it might not be as advertised? Is that what you hear? Um, actually, to be honest, I think that it's the history of vaccinations or histories of interactions with the government and um, the black community that probably concerns people more than anything. Um, but I think that Governor Promo's approach as far as educating people on this vaccine and, and its efficacy and all those things will be a huge help to subsiding any of the concerns that people will have. Um, this is not something, of course, is just focused on African, black, and brown people, but certainly it's for the larger community. And as we educate them more and more, I think that it will people will come on board and be more com- comfortable with it. Because one of the things I just learned yesterday is that, um, and typically when you have a vaccination, there's live uh, of uh, there live uh, cells that they're putting inside of you. But in this particular vaccine, there aren't very many. There's only a portion, and most of your body is creating the um, the uh, antibodies that you need as opposed to them being put into your body. So that's a positive thing that I learned yesterday. Hey, Council Member, uh, Joe Beamer here. Wondering, uh, when you talk about the vaccine, you talk about the governor. Uh, do you think some of the doubt in the state of New York is because for the last three months, the governor was saying that, you shouldn't trust a vaccine that came out of the current administration until his his panel looked at it. Do you think that has some people still doubting this vaccine? I, I think that has something to do with it. Is, um, but I think majority of the issue was how the, the president was promoting it and putting it out there and, and really scaring people because it seemed as though it was his campaign um, uh, initiative as opposed to allowing the scientists to go through the process that we typically will go through with any type of new drug that's going to be presented to Americans. Um, but I think the governor has come back very insightfully, I believe, as far as saying, let's have a panel discuss it, have some conversation, because you really have to get people on board. I mean, Dr. Fauci has said it over and over again, how we really need to get people vaccinated and you can't do it by forcing them or making it a mandate. I believe you have to educate them and bring them along that way. 
looking at the uh, the numbers that came out, and again, I don't know how scientific these are. These are from 46,000 contact tracers where you see gym salons and restaurants all under 1.5% of the COVID spread. Now, we know gyms and salons are opening up. Just a, a personal opinion. Do you think restaurants should be given the option to open up now that these numbers are out? Well, I, again, I, I, I've been following it as best I can, but um, it's been said that the restaurants are the main source of spread. Um, so in that particular case, I think the governor is making the right decision. Unfortunately, we can't, because of our winters, we can't have the open door dining that we had that was pretty much successful, I believe, through a major portion of this time. <clears throat> but right now, and I think, you know, take it, following the governor's lead, he's done a fantastic job in leading us. Um, I don't want to jump off the train, and I'm not just, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid, but I think he's done a fantastic job in the way that we've gone from where we were before in the very beginning to where we are now. It's just a fantastic transformation, and that's under his leadership. Rashid, what did you think of the the governor writing a book in the midst of the pandemic, though? I thought he was pretty tone deaf when it came to that. You know, let's focus on getting people through this crisis and not about – uh, congratulating yourself for you know how you've done it when we're in the midst of the crisis. Yeah, um, I mean, I think there's some things that people do that probably wouldn't be something that I would do personally. But yeah, I, I can understand people's concern about that. But at the end of the day, I think that what he's continued to do is succeed and and give us the right direction. I mean, there's been things that um, again people have come out against and didn't totally agree with. Um, but certainly you got to admit that, you know, his his visibility for New Yorkers has been a huge benefit um, for us to calm our fears and to, in, in many cases, get us on board. Sure, the numbers are going up, but I think that they would be even higher if we had not had his viewpoints and, and information that he's providing. So again, I said a friend of mine in Arizona, they're looking for the governor. Where are we? I mean, their numbers are raging. Um, so I think New Yorkers have a huge benefit in this governor. He wrote a book, and I probably wouldn't have done it, but um, I think he still continues to hit the mark. Shifting gears a bit, uh, there's a report on WBEN.com and in uh, the media this morning about a 16-year-old male that was shot in Buffalo. And it's got to be so frustrating for you, I would think, Council Member, to see the violence continue, especially involving younger people. Uh, what, what's your take on uh, the control that we have with violence in the city and how folks might be uh, reticent to move into the city because of continued violence. Yeah, I, I, it, is, it is a big problem for us and, and something that, you know, is not something that I like to hear every night. Um, I do have residents who are concerned about the violence. And when people are talking about defund the police, that's not something that I'm hearing in my community. Um, yeah, we, we may want to allot money in different areas that can make the police more effective, I'm um, definitely having uh, mental health workers and things like that. But I was just on a, a, a call yesterday talking about the violence. And, you know, we have many groups in our community um, who have worked very diligently and in some cases on a volunteer basis to engage the community and, and residents and individuals in our community to try to keep that violence down. And, that, and I would say, honestly, that if it weren't for them, um, that it probably would be a lot more, a lot worse um, but any life loss is something that, you know, we continue to um, be concerned, especially when you talk about a 16-year-old, someone that hasn't even started their life. Um, it's still a concern. And we, you know, we continue to search for answers, myself and Council President Pridgen, 
back in the 80s founded a group about concerned citizens against violence to address that. And even to this day, we're still dealing with it. So it's something that we haven't been able to put our finger on. Um, we try to focus on jobs and opportunities, engaging young people. Um, but a lot of it, I believe, has to do with um, our families. You know, we have to start looking at our families to do more and try to be more engaging with our young people because we talk about mentorship, we talk about all these different groups, but I don't think there's anything more beneficial than someone within the family to have some conversation with individuals who may be going the wrong way or individuals who may need some support um, to be successful. I, I, I just don't think there's a magic bullet. Excuse me, and I shouldn't even say that word, but I don't think there's a magic uh, uh, option for us to really turn this around and fix it without us having real conversation and putting the ownership on some families to have those conversations or somebody. It's got to be someone that this person, these individuals have a relationship with because just having a mentor or having a, a community advocate or even a council member um, is something that these people may be detached from. What about uh, the, the whole thing about you don't want to snitch because then you'll really be in trouble? I mean, how do you address the kind of gang issues that involve that kind of thinking? It is, it's really um, something that's just um, horrifying when you hear that if you see something like that, you can't say anything. But unfortunately, it's, it's some of the things that we've done in the forefront of high incarceration that's really created that type of culture that once these individuals get out of prison, this is what they do. So it's a double-edged sword that um, I'm hopeful that this Biden administration will kind of address and look at how do we do this collectively. I don't think it's any one group that's going to be able to fix this problem or even try to put a dent in it. But I think that, you know, we have to start having some conversation on what do we do to 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 um, give people those opportunities, and I think part of it has to do with systemic racism, and how there's there's different African Americans don't have the same opportunities as Caucasian Americans. You know, we you you can have a degree and 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 have experience, but still your opportunity to get a job is not as prevalent as someone else. So when we talk about just that by itself, and then we talk about an individual who may not have a college a high school education you know, it becomes even more difficult. So we have to look at how do we balance this out. And I think part of it to me is how do we improve our educational system? How do we make it just not for um, individuals who are, are, are academically successful, but also make it for people who want vocational training? I mean, I know when I went to school, we had vocational schools, and that was, to me, kind of the, 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 balancing, um, the balancing piece to, to make it, keep individuals engaged, and hopefully being able to get a meaningful job, even though they may not be able to do good in science and math and um, social studies, they have this ability to learn how to repair motors or um, build uh, engines. Those type of things I think are critically important that doesn't seem to be in our school system as prevalent as it was when I, when I grew up. I want to keep it on education, but I have to say this, and I, I usually say this in my first question, but always good to talk to a fellow Madai College alum. Um, Rashid, you are on the education committee, and we heard from the Buffalo schools this week. Uh, I want to know what you think about their plan of waiting till February to start looking at going back to school. You know, um, I, I don't try to weigh in too much on their, on their things, um, but I do think that, you know, Based on the climate, and even as I speak to individuals in my my district, um, they're not ready to bring their children back to school. 
And so I think Dr. Cash is right on point when hearing from the community and not trying to force something. I'm really, to be honest, surprised that the New York City schools were opening um, with the infection rate rising. And to me, it's almost, in my mind, it's like it's almost a contradiction. How can you do that? And how can you think that children will be safe or even teachers, administrators will be safe? So I think Dr. Cash has, you know, made a prudent decision um, because, again, constituents I've talked to aren't really ready to send their kids because they're still concerned. You know, uh, speaking of schools, uh, Rashida, it really uh, has me puzzled about this whole idea of the um, the slow speeds uh, limit in school districts and the fines that are being incurred uh, due to cameras picking up on what people are doing. Uh, what are you hearing from your constituents about that? Well, you just hit the the, uh, the the pulse of the issues in my district, and that's those schools on cameras, which people aren't happy about. And I'm just going to be very clear, and I think I've been very consistent, that when the Common Council put this forth just before the pandemic, the whole focus was on um, safety of children. And the hours were limited to that when children are being arriving and departing. Um, the mayor uh, issued a veto back in October allowing the cameras to be on all day. That was something that we heard loud and clear from the community that they did not want. And he went about and did it, and this has been one fiasco after another. I mean, if I can give you the list of issues with the cameras, it's just uh, mind-boggling. Um, but more importantly, um, in the midst of the pandemic, people are getting tickets and having to go through issues and try to get hearings and things like that to get these tickets overturned. So it's really perplexing that they, they made that decision. But we came back in November and we overturned the veto and we went back and went back to our original um, guideline, which was um, people were only being penalized from 730 to 930, 230 to 430. Um, but then we had problems where the beacons weren't being distributed in a way that people were advised and informed before they even got to the camera. I mean, I have a, a situation right now on, at St. Joe's on Main Street where the beacon is right in front of Gloria Parks and the camera is right in front of Gloria Parks and people are getting tickets. So um, we're still evaluating this. I mean, we're hearing from residents. I've gotten so many emails from people, not just in my district, but in Amherst and Williamsville. And I know that there was some conversation about this was um, an issue that um, people from the suburbs were having to deal with. Everybody's having to deal with it, and it's not been rolled out the right way. Um, so the Common Council will be having some additional conversation on Tuesday during our legislative um, committee hearing to talk about it, because this is a huge problem in the midst of a pandemic that people don't need the aggravation or uh, have to make choices between paying a $50 fine or paying, getting medicine or groceries. You know, I was driving down that very uh, part of Main Street Thursday morning, and all of a sudden things slowed down. I thought there was an accident ahead. It was just this abrupt change in the traffic flow. And not only does it feel too big brotherish to me, but it's also, I think, a safety hazard because you're slowing down so quickly that, I, you know, I could foresee a chain reaction accident in that whole stretch. Uh, I think that uh, it's good news that you and your colleagues are checking things out and reviewing this uh, Tuesday on the Common Council floor. Uh, but you're you're working remotely, right? When I say floor, I mean that uh, not literally. Is that is that what you continue to do at this point? Is to work remotely? Yeah. Uh, on your council meetings. We we continue to have Zoom meetings, and to be quite honest, I I love it. Not because I'm not in City Hall, but because we can have more engagement with the community. 
um, we have normally between 100 and 200 people um, tuning into those um, legislative committee meetings, and I wish it was more, but quite honestly, um, I, I'm a proponent of transparency in government, and I think to have people engage and hear from them is, you know, exactly what we're talking about. I mean, we look think about this election and how many people are engaged and voted. I'm hopeful that will continue to grow because I think that's the importance, but I think it's also important for elected officials to listen, and I think that's one of the things that I'm very proud of of me and some of my colleagues that we've listened to the community. We've heard from them regarding the school zone cameras, as well as the, the speed up there. I mean, the, some of the things you said about said, Brenda, are exactly what I've been hearing. And those are things that we have to make adjustments to. And I know the administration has been very reluctant to do those things. But at, at the end of the day, uh, my job is to represent the university district and the residents and what I hear. And I'm going to put forth what they ask for, because I think that's in many cases, I want to say any 85 to 90 percent of the cases, they know what they're talking about. Councilmember Rashid Wyatt from the University District, thanks so much for taking some time on a Sunday morning to join us. We hope to talk to you soon. Thank you, Brenda and Joe. You have a great day. And uh, that'll put a wrap on this first hour of Hardline. Much more to come in hour number two, including A.J. Baines from the Amherst Chamber of Commerce and Dr. Tom Russo from the Jacobs School of Medicine. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.